Good morning. This is God's word from Hosea 12, 1 through 9. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria. And oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God, a merchant in whose hands are false balances he loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself, and in all my labors they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am the Lord your God. From the land of Egypt, I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. Thank you, Forrest. Good morning. Have, uh, have any of you been to uh, Ireland, Scotland, traveled to those uh, lands? They're, they're absolutely stunning, aren't they? Just the, the beauty of the, of the land, the green, green, green grass. The golf courses are awesome. Uh, it's just a beautiful place. One of, the, one of the things I love most about Ireland is when you go uh, and you'll be just going throughout the countryside and enjoying God's amazing beauty, uh, there are thousands of sheep everywhere, everywhere. And their shepherds are leading them, and, and the sheepdogs are pushing them a certain direction. And as you're driving, most of the time, you have to allow a lot of time to get to where you're going because the sheep will be in the road. And you have to wait for hundreds of them to cross the road. And you just do that. And it's actually pretty beautiful. There doesn't seem to be a hurry. Everybody understands sheep crossing. And so you go and you enjoy the beauty and everything, and, and the sheep are feeding on the green grass. And it's just a wonderful picture of, of the Lord as a shepherd and a sheep. But could you imagine if you went to Ireland and you saw all these sheep and they were just on the dirt road and their shepherd was over one direction calling out to them and they were going another direction on the dirt road and you saw all of these sheep with their heads up and their mouths open, chomping at the air as if they were catching flies, biting at the air, and going away as the shepherd is trying to get the sheepdog to gather them back, and they're just going down the dirt road, away from their shepherd, biting at air. That would be absurd. And the shepherd calling them back to all of this green pasture. But yet they wander down the road, chomping at the air. 
That's where Israel's at in this story of Hosea. And the shepherd is calling us back. Let's pray. Father, you have provided everything for us. You've given us life. You've given us abundance. You've given us hope. And you feed us and you make us to lie down in green pastures. And in our flesh and in our sin, Father, uh, we seem to want to go down this dirt road away from you. And so, Father, I just pray this morning through your Holy Spirit that we would hear your voice, the shepherd's voice, calling us back to come and to feed on the green grass and to experience life again in you. So minister to us this morning. Be present. And, uh, Father, we long to follow you. In your precious name, amen. They're chomping at the air, the scriptures say. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. The idea of feeding on the wind is, think about it for a second. What's that like, feeding on the wind? It's a silly picture. Again, it's sheep grasping at the air. You go, there's, there's nothing in the wind. It, it, it just flows by. There's no nourishment in the wind. It's fleeting. It doesn't provide for us. And Israel's depending on that which is elusive, on that which is unprofitable, and they keep going down the dirt road, chomping at the air. There is no, nothing of any value in what they're going after. Israel has developed a, a cotton candy diet. And maybe we have as well. That we're going after things, that we're feeding on things that have no spiritual nourishment for us. That don't bring us any life, any any substance. We talked about how Israel keeps going after these idols, thinking that they're going to bring life and, and hope, and yet when they're in their most desperate need, the idols are absolutely useless. And God is saying, Israel, you've become like this. You're chomping at the air. Not only that, you're going after things that give you no value, but you're pursuing the east wind. The east wind all throughout the scriptures and, and even just in culture. The east wind is, is known to be this powerful wind that's very destructive. It's scorching hot. It comes through the land. And you can imagine in the desert when that east wind comes by, stirs up the, the sand. Anything that's living, it just scorches it. It's destructive. And Israel is pursuing after the east wind. So here I'm going to have a cotton candy diet, and not only that, I'm going to, I'm going to go after that which is destructive and evil and pursue that. They're going down that dirt road away from the shepherd. They're going down after idols and things that have nothing to do with God and pursuing those things. That which is opposite of God is evil. 
and they're pursuing after those things. And, and the good shepherd is calling them back. That east wind is, is nothing but destructive. Don't follow that when you have a God who loves you and who's faithful and who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who rescued you, who gave you life. It says this, that they are multiplying falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria and oil is carried to Egypt. They're, they're playing both superpowers. You have Egypt and Assyria. And they're, they're trying to appease both and they're bargaining with both, making all of these, these covenants, these deals. Hey, if you cover me here, like if Assyria does something to me, Egypt, are you going to back us up? And here we're going to bring stuff to you. And we want the same from Assyria. And we want to make sure that we're covered and we're making deals and packs and trading. And here we're going to bring you the oil. And they're depending. They're depending and putting their trust in all of these deals that they're making. All these alliances. It's like trying to feed on the wind. You think that if I make this one deal here, I'll be okay. Think if I have my whole plan organized over here and I put my trust in the plan, everything should be okay. He's saying you're feeding on the wind. You're putting your trust in things that are empty, cotton candy. And he goes on in verse 2, The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways and he will repay him according to his deeds. Now let me kind of lay out let me kind of lay out chapter 12 for you a little bit. It, it comes with Hosea speaking. Here's what the Lord has uh, against you. Here's the observations about how you're living life and the judgment, the righteous judgment that's coming because of this in the first few verses. And then, and then starting in verse 7, we see more of God's judgment upon Israel and how they're living and what's going to play out. Here's how you're living life and here's what God's going to do. Again, trying to draw you back, trying to make you recognize that this way of life is destructive. It's empty. You need a God who can actually rescue you and save you. You need a God who actually is the one who gives you life, who is your true redeemer, your rock. Yeah, you keep going after these other things. You're walking down that dirt road, away from God, chomping at the air, and you're dying in your soul. And your sin is separating you out from God. So he's drawing you back. So you have, you have those two judgment areas, and then smack dab in the middle, sandwiched in between, is this story about Jacob, the patriarch Jacob, is right in the middle of it. So we're going to look at God's judgments, and then we're going to look at the life of Jacob. And why in the world is all of a sudden this story brought out of Jacob, right in the middle of all of this? It's a great passage uh, to look at. So he says, I have this indictment against Judah. Listen, there is consequence for sin. That's been all of Hosea. Sin separates us from God. There is going to be ultimate judgment someday. You know, we're, we're not a church family that sits up here and, you're going to the pit, you're going to hell. You're going to die, you're going to burn. 
There used to be all great preachers who used to teach that every Sunday. If you don't know Jesus, you're going straight to hell. You know what, though? The truth is, that's true. We don't, we don't lay it heavy like that. But Hosea is kind of laying it pretty heavy. There's consequence for sin. God can have nothing to do with sin. There has to be a payment for it. That's why from the beginning, you know, as, as the Israelites were offering sacrifice, which, which appeased God for the moment, but they couldn't do enough. You can't, you can't offer enough sacrifice why we need Jesus. There has to be an ultimate payment for sin. There has to be God stepping in the middle of our brokenness and our desperate need for a Savior. And Christ is the one, because of God's love, who was sent to die on the cross for us. Because he doesn't want us to be separate from him. He doesn't want us to be those sheep going down that path and biting at the air, which ultimately leads to destruction. And so he, he woos us into relationship, into loving relationship with him. And for those of us who are prodigals who go out, he keeps calling us back. And there's judgment upon that. There's consequence for sin, but he keeps calling us back. And so he says, Judah, I have this indictment against you. There's judgment that's coming. All of Hosea keeps bringing that, but then there's hope in the middle of it that God can redeem this and He wants to bring you back and He wants to restore you. But let me remind you of what the Lord says in the end, Revelation. I saw a great white throne and Him who was seated on it. From His presence, earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, and it was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And then it goes on to say, if your name was not written in the book of life, they were thrown into the fire. God wants you in the book of life. And he's wooing you, and he's calling you. He's not forcing you into relationship with him. But he wants you with him. He wants you in that green pasture, enjoying all of his abundance and life that he gives. John 2. My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone sins, listen to this. This is the great news. We have an advocate from the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. He's the payment. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him just giving lip service to God and to everybody around, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. Let's just be honest. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, 
Truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him, that we are children of God. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. He's obedient. When we have the life of Christ in us, we obey Christ. We're His children. Hosea is bringing out, hey, stop giving lip service to me. Stop pretending. You know how many people come to church and they sing all the songs and and they sit here and they hear all the good news and, and they know all the right Christian things to say, but they have no relationship with Jesus Christ? God's heart grieves over that. And He says, come unto me. Receive my son Jesus. Be saved. And now let's walk this journey together. Hosea is going, listen, God wants you, but you're living in a way that's unrighteousness. You're going after other lovers, and he's calling you back through strong judgment, but he wants you back. But let's stop pretending that there is no consequence for sin. We just do that, especially in this culture, don't we? We think, ah, it's no big deal. Holy God, yeah, okay. Really cares about my sin? I mean, it's just a little sin. He cares. He wants you to be cleansed. He doesn't want you to have the guilt and the, and the consequence and the weight of that. And so he's calling us back. He goes on in verse 7 again, dealing with his judgment that's going to come because of the way Israel was living. So they're, they're chomping at the wind. They're, they're following the east wind into destruction. They're making alliances, putting their trust in these alliances with others. And now he says, they're starting to claim, Lay, look at all my wealth, all that I've accomplished. And, and I've done it in such a way that there's no sin in me. There's no sin that can be found. And what God is pointing out is, oh, you are deceiving your own self. All the money that you've made has come through deception. You've cheated everybody. It's false balances. And you're claiming, you're claiming there's no sin in me, in my earnings, and how I've, I've made this money. You've, you've cheated everybody to come to this wealth. And so all of that, you're going to end up living back in the tents in the desert. You've got to understand something. During Hosea's time, for Israel, it was a very prosperous time. They were doing very well. Lived in nice homes. But now it's going to be back in the desert. There's going to be consequences, Israel, for your choices and the way you've cheated people. You can't continue to live this life saying that it's no big deal, that it doesn't play out. I become like a Canaanite. I'm a merchant who's cheating everybody. And he says, the altars that you've set up, which were big altars, shrines, to really glorify these other gods, those are all going to be torn down. Every idol that you've gone after, everything in your life that you've pursued, except for me, except for God alone, is going to be torn down. It's going to end up in the furrows, destroyed. In the fields, it's going to be as a, as a garbage heap. What are we pursuing after? What's our diet like? God's calling us back. The sheep, 
are wandering down that dirt road. And he's saying, oh, I have so much more life for you. I'm sending my sheepdog, my prophets, to nip at your heels so that you'll come back. Follow them. Listen to what they're saying. Because there is ultimate judgment someday. And I want your name in the book of life. And so in the middle of this, he starts to tell the story of Jacob. Sandwiched right in between. And I think it's really a, a wonderful thing he does in God giving us his his heart for us, for Israel, his broken heart, his grieving heart, and yet his heart that, that offers life and draws back his children. So here's the story of Jacob. We're going we're gonna to go through the story of Jacob. I don't know how many of you remember the story of Jacob, but we're going we're gonna to give a, a short version so that we can catch up. Because God's really doing some some work here in the middle of this. He says this in verse 3, In the womb, Jacob took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. So right from the beginning, Jacob took his brother Esau by the heel, grasped him, fighting for that birthright to be the firstborn. I'm going to grab it. In ancient Israel, the, to be one who was a heel catcher meant to be one who was a, a double dealer. Someone who achieved their goals by dishonest workings, crafty, dishonest means. And what Hosea is saying is, listen, Israel, that was Jacob then, heel catcher, And that, O Israel, is you now. You are one who is double-minded. You are cheating people. This is what you're all about. Then we know that Esau was this great hunter, and he went out hunting one day in Genesis 25, and he comes back, and if you remember, he's famished. And he says to his brother Jacob, who's cooking up this wonderful stew, Jacob, give me some of that red red is in the Hebrew. Give me some of that stew, that red meat. I'm famished. And Jacob says, wait a minute. I will give you some, but you need to promise me that you'll give me your birthright. That is, I get to be named firstborn. What? What? Give me your birthright. Promise. No. And Esau is like, oh, if I don't eat, I'm going to die. You know, I mean, he just lived for everything was in the flesh. So Esau makes an oath. I'll give you my birthright. Heel catcher, the deceiver, the one who manipulates, got the birthright. Then there came the time that Jacob, Jacob's mother, Rebekah, was listening with, she was often eavesdropping, and she overheard Isaac, Jacob and Esau's father, Isaac, the one who almost got killed up on the mountain. 
Isaac is talking with Esau about the fact that, you know what? Isaac's saying, I'm not going to be around much longer. So I want to pass along my blessing. But go out and do your hunt, Esau, and then come back. And I want to get to a place where I offer blessing. So Esau, the great hunter, goes out and he's hunting again. Now Rebekah, who was also a schemer with Jacob, says, quick, my son, let's go get the clothes, let's rub the smell all over you of of Esau. Esau was a, a hairy, hairy man, had to shave his back all the time, you know, he's one of those guys. And so we, they get fur, and they put it on, on Jacob's hands, and they, they get the scent of Esau all over Jacob, and they bring Jacob, Rebekah does, into the presence of blind Isaac. And so, bestowed upon Jacob, heel catcher, cheating everybody out, he gets the blessing. He gets the blessing. Esau comes back in just after that. For the blessing, Isaac startled, but who was that who came in? And it was Jacob. And Esau cries out, there must be another blessing for me. No, my son, there's not. Actually, you're going to live in the wild, and here's your outcome. Esau wasn't happy about that. And so here's what happened. The scriptures say Esau held a grudge against Jacob, and he knew that his father was going to die, and basically he said, when dad dies, I will kill Jacob. Rebecca got wind of that, and so she sends Jacob to her brother's house, Laban, in Haran. Sends him off, says, get away, because Esau is going to kill you. And so he flees for his life. And while he is fleeing for his life, as he's going on his way to, to Laban's place, he stops in the desert in Haran, and he grabs a, a rock on the ground, this is the way real men camp, and they grab a stone, and that was his pillow. And he starts to sleep, but he has this vision. And in the desert, he has this vision of this stairway coming from heaven and reaching to the ground, and angels are going to and fro from the stairway, from heaven. And as he's doing that, he gets the vision, and God speaks to him, he says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. I will be with you. I will keep you wherever you go. Don't be afraid. Jacob is blown away how amazing and awesome is this place. And he woke up and realized that God was with him and God met with him. And so he took that rock that he slept on and he built an altar there and he changed the name of that place. It was Luz. And he changed it to Bethel, the house of God. I met with God here. Now here's something that's amazing. This is God's amazing grace poured out. Jacob was a heel catcher. He was a deceiver. 
He was living in his flesh. Everything was by manipulation. He had nothing really to do with God. Catch this. God comes down. Hey, Jacob, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you descendants. This land is going to be full. Jacob wasn't seeking after God, was he? He was on the run in his sin. And God met him right there. I love that about God. There's lots of you who've been on the run and God met you right there. And if you're on the run today, let God meet you right there. And name that place Bethel. Mark it on the calendar. This was the day of Bethel that I met God. He spoke to me and he blessed me. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So his presence comes in and he assures him of this incredible birthright. And then comes leaving this place and he gets finally to Laban's house and and we see the boomerang effect, the consequence for sin. As he gets to Laban's place and he comes and enters into the community, he falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. She is gorgeous. And he falls in love and he wants to marry her. And so Laban says, well, listen, you can have her, but you've got to work seven years for me. And Jacob is so smitten, he's like, all right, what a deal, I'll do it. It it says in the scriptures it was like a day for him. He was just so in love with Rachel. So finally comes the day, and and Jacob has met his match in Laban. Laban's a bigger manipulator than he is. You will sow what you reap. You will reap what you sow, right? It comes around. So the manipulator has met the greater manipulator. So finally comes the day and, and to be given in marriage and they have a wonder, wonderful wedding feast and I think he has a little bit too much wine and so supposedly Rachel's brought into the tent and he has relations with her and he wakes up in the morning and it's the sister, Leah. He had been deceived. They had faked her identity Wait, did someone fake their identity to Isaac? Huh. Isn't it amazing how that comes around? All this is met. This is Jacob's story, the great deceiver. And so then he continues and he works more and he makes another covenant. He ends up 20 years with Laban. He does marry Rachel. But finally comes this time where he, he needs to get out. There's this burden on his heart. There's this burden on his heart about what happened with Esau. And he needs to get away from Laban. And so he's getting ready to return home. And so he starts to return home. And he's, he's, he's filled with fear. And he's concerned. But he's remembering that God is with Jacob. And as he's going home, he, he starts to kind of live in the flesh again where he knows Esau's on the way to meet him. And so he starts sending out gifts Tell him I have all this cattle. Tell him I have all... Tell him, you know, again, peace from his brother Jacob. Because last words we heard from Esau was what? I'm going to kill my brother. 
And he was a great hunter. Trust me, he could take them out in an instant. And he keeps presenting these gifts. And then comes this amazing scene. It's the culmination of all of this, I think, of chapter 12. This beautiful picture again of what happened as, as he had sent out his wife across the brook at Jabbok, and he's all alone by himself. And then the scriptures say this. Hosea says this. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor. He wrestles with God. He showed up and he's, and he's wrestling with God in the middle of the night. It says the man wrestled until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail with Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then... The man said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. How do you wrestle with God? How do you wrestle with God? How do you prevail in a wrestling match with God? You know, the reality of that wrestling match is Jacob got his, his, his tush kicked. I mean, he, he got beat. His hip was out of joint. They I think even broken. Even to this day, there's that tendon that they won't eat because it was the tendon that connected. He was out of joint. But it says he prevailed. And you go... Wait a second, how did he prevail? How do we prevail as we wrestle with God? Why does Hosea bring this back in the middle of it? Israel, who's wrestling with God. Angry with God, wanting to to go away from God. I think the way we prevail, and what we ultimately see, is we prevail when we are broken when we finally realize that we have to stop fighting against God. We have to stop living in the flesh. How do we prevail with God in a wrestling match? We recognize our absolute, utter need for God's blessing in our life, for His salvation, for His redemption. And we stop fighting against him. We hold on desperately like Jacob did, saying, bless me, God. I can't do this anymore. All night long. In modern day culture, it would be this. You've got to tap out. In all these wrestling matches that you see, these big big-time matches that go on. The one who is put into a stronghold where they cannot move anymore and where literally they will be broken, they have to come to a place where they acknowledge, I am broken, I tap out. 
and then the release comes. We have to tap out. Why do we keep fighting against God when all he has for us is life and abundance? Jacob tapped out, and we learned that our master was the one who was going to give us life. We all, I think, have a Jabbok encounter at that place where we meet God. And we get to a place where we're broken and in desperate need. And it's at that place that we prevail. You know, it's interesting in Hosea that it says, it says, Jacob wept. You know what? That's not in the Genesis account. It's not in Genesis. I find that fascinating. It just shows more his utter brokenness before living God. That he came to face God face to face. And can you imagine that wrestling match all night long, dealing with all of his brokenness, dealing with his grasping at the heel, God dealing with all of his sin? Can you imagine that night of wrestling with God? We need to wrestle with God that way and acknowledge our sin and acknowledge our brokenness and realize our need for Him and ask for His blessing and His salvation and His mercy in our lives. And the result of that night is He's given a new name. Isn't that the grace of God? You'll no longer be called Jacob, heel catcher, deceiver. You'll be called Israel, the one who strives with God the one who will become the father of the nations. And so he says in Hosea, so you, by the help of your God, this, this is what's awesome, it's by the help of God. We don't even come back to God on our own. It's receive God's help to return. And now hold fast to love and justice and wait continually on your God as he does that work in your life. Stop trying to live in the flesh and your own plans. Stop trying to make things happen and manipulate and move in your own direction. Wait upon your God who longs to bless you, who wants you to come back into that green pasture. And instead of wrestling against God, now having God who is our wrestling partner, it's tag team wrestling. God, you're in my corner. Tag I need your help. Come wrestle this match for me. And so let's remember to win in a wrestling match with God. And Israel, as they're learning this, you were like Jacob, and you are in your sin, but God wants you to return and to be broken and submit and surrender your life back unto Him and let Him lead you into green pasture that you may feed at the banquet table of our God. Let's pray. Father, you're an amazing God full of grace, a faithful God in the middle of our unfaithfulness. And so, Father, we surrender our lives to you. Father, forgive us for wrestling against you and not submitting to you. And, Father, we do. We want your blessing. We want to receive your blessing in our life. And so, Father, through your Holy Spirit, through your power, would you bless us with your life, your abundance. We acknowledge you as Lord and Savior.
we acknowledge you as lover of our souls. We acknowledge you as the one and the only one who can forgive our sin. And we thank you that we can have life in you as we believe upon your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.